This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer, a publication covering the entire supply chain of pharmaceutical manufacturing. Subscribe now at epmmagazine.com. Hello and welcome to the MedTalk podcast, a show bringing you the latest insights into the world of life sciences. I'm Rhys Armstrong, the host of today's podcast, where we'll be talking about the clinical trials industry and some of the challenges it's currently facing. I'm joined by Matt Farah, founder of Loved By, a consultancy that looks at how we can design and implement long-lasting changes in people's behaviour. Matt, first of all, just thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me, thank you. Um, just to start off with for a little bit of um, background to for our listeners, can you just um, introduce yourself, please, and a little bit of your history um, of your experiences of, of the life sciences industry and also of Love Buys experiences within it as well? Yeah, no, no, no problem at all. I'm uh, relatively new, I'd say five years into life sciences. Um, prior to that, my classical training is actually as an industrial designer. Um, show my age a little bit, but I, I qualified with a, an industrial design degree way back in 95. And, um, you know, subsequently, I thought I'd be designing physical products over the last 27 years. And, and the reality is it was just quite a fortunate moment when digital was just coming out of the gates. You know, it used to be called interactive media way back then and uh, a whole different world now. So I really um, spent a lot of time over the last 27 years initially applying my skills on my own but then you know subsequently built up um several businesses actually over that time mm-hmm. um specializing in you know working with um in clients from various industries helping them to to build breakthrough products and if if i was to try and capture that in in, in one sentence it would be i'm extremely user-centric right so whether it's education whether it's working with pharma and trying to figure out how to how to recruit um, more people into clinical trials whether it's uh you know whether it's um audio or you know entertainment or it it doesn't really matter the industry sector Mm -hmm. you know all of those uh, businesses will be very focused on human beings and how to best engage them right so that's the space that i've been in and built teams subsequently to do that so um, you know, worked a lot in financial services, um, worked a lot in healthcare, worked a lot in education. Those are the kind of core three areas, I'd say, that have my skills. Um, bringing you right up to date, um, I was fortunate enough to, to, to be acquired in my last business um, before Loved By. It was called Great Fridays. That was back in 2014. I did three years working with them as a kind of head of design at that organization, um, and then whilst I was on a sabbatical, actually, the thing that got me back into healthcare and super focused on this particular space was um, it was an unfortunate event in that um, whilst we were traveling, I have four children. And uh, whilst we were traveling, my son became quite ill. We had no idea why. And eventually he was um, he collapsed. He was he was rushed into intensive care um um very quickly well before intensive care actually he was uh, he, he had a number of tests and he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes so he'd been in diabetic ketoacidosis for about 10 days and um so you know the real family experience that made me think about um you know how do i apply my skills to to some very different challenges in particular around um you know engaging families and, and adolescents and children you know and uh you know, I've been doing that really since 
well, four years now uh, that I've been focused on that. And so, you know, in terms of how does that relate to what Love Buy is doing like now today, um, one was a, one was um, a very focused piece, which was, you know, I wanted to build products and services very specifically aimed at, uh, at adolescents uh, and how could really we get them to better engage with their health because it was a, an extremely challenging audience, uh, one that's, you know, driving innovation forward by using, you know, they all have mobile phones and they all use social media. And so, you know, I guess healthcare was losing the ability to engage because of the, you know, the, the, the um, the more historical methods, I guess, with engaging with clinical audiences. So so that was our focus. And and we've been there for four years. Um, We built a platform, Nudge, um, and we're still building that now. And we've got some great successes there. But alongside that, um, we knew that because of the space that we'd chosen, very purpose-driven, but, you know, I got some very early feedback from investors where they were like, why do you bother with that audience? You know, they're really difficult. How do you monetize them? So it's like, ah, so, um, you know, and they were probably right. It, it is all of those things. So we had to kind of figure out a way of uh, of applying our skills uh, outside of what we're doing in adolescence to try and at least bring in some money, right? And that was where we went back to thinking about um, about building a consultancy to really support our product development, which is which is what we've done. So we're we're a two headed beast at Love by. We have our platform that's very focused on adolescent health, in particular chronic conditions, um, and we've done a lot of our own clinical trials within that space. And and, we're, and I think we learn a lot because of the challenging audience that we need to engage with and the communities that surround them, etc. And um, and within those teams, we have very strong data science and behavioural science capability, as well as content and and, and so on. And, uh, and and what we've done is really applied that into our consulting space. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of work with, with pharma companies, with healthcare companies where they have the same challenges or how do we, and, and to frame those, or how do we really engage with audiences that, subs- that previously we haven't been able to? How do we use digital? How do we use other uh, other ways in which to engage them? And uh, And so, you know, that's been an interesting journey as well. So we have two teams, but we're kind of closely aligned and, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have something that motivates me, get up in the morning and, and try and save, uh, try and save you know, certainly adolescents, either short or long-term health and, and potentially lives as well. Yeah, of course, uh, definitely a worthy goal, but being relatively new, I suppose, to the healthcare in, in, industry in that, in that way, what were some of your first experiences of, of, of the clinical trials world? Mm-hmm. You know, did you think, oh God, this is, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. These are there are certain roadblocks that we just I didn't think about at, at all. What were some of your uh, thoughts? Um, I don't think they were necessarily um, specific to the pharma space or the healthcare space. You know, if you look at, uh, for instance, other areas that I've been focused on, banking, financial services. You know, where there's similar levels of regulation, similar diversity of clients and communities, and, and ultimately, it's the same question: Is it how do you apply yourselves within? A, a, a construct that is either around compliance or how do you apply yourself and and build up that engagement with the audience right because if you can do that you know then um then 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 you ultimately should see success so i wasn't i wouldn't say that i was um shocked at what i saw i think it was pretty much a similar approach that a lot of organizations that are going through that transition into digital and patient first or person first 
which is, you know, do I know enough really about about who I'm trying to engage with? And ultimately, you know, what are then the barriers to, to making that happen? Um, you know, all of those organizations have got their own internal challenges and how they do things and how they've always done things. And, you know, so it's about trying to apply some disruption to that. But um, um, I, I think it's, you know, it's... It, as always, it's it's trying to bring people along with you. So a lot of our clients who work within pharma, as I mentioned, you know, they've done things for so long. It's then getting them to say, well, hold on, have you taken a slightly different approach and and, and ultimately, you know, driving some key metrics. So this this still has to be a big focus on, you know, the economics of that. You can't yeah. just go and do some, you know, some work around, you know, use of personas or segmentation without any real focus on, on what the end results are. So um, I, I, that was my long answer. My, my short answer is that, um, you know, I, I think um, I think there's challenges in all businesses. And, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly surprised within the in the healthcare space. Mm-hmm. Just going back to what you were saying there, you know, you know, applying these key metrics to these pharma organizations. One of the problems within that industry is that they've done it. We've done clinical trials in a very certain way for a very long time. Mm-hmm. They've almost got this, this rigid, dogmatic a, a, approach to how they w- want to do them. Mm-hmm. And because of the cost associated with developing a new drug, um, a lot of companies don't want to be the first to trial a new, a new approach. Mm-hmm. Um, is that what you found in your conversations with, with the organ- organizations? How do, you, how do you make them convince them really to say this technology can save you X amount of time? And, and money and, and help get your your drug to, to market faster but also to the right patients who, who needed you during, during the trial yeah I, I think the first part of that just to break that question down a little bit is that you know out of our current pharma clients whether that's in diabetes or whether that's in you know chronic kidney disease the the um the delivery mechanism is, is very different. So it could be much more around adherence and, and, uh, and management and, or it could be, uh, you know, very different, a very different focus. So, you know, one, in terms of our approach and, and how we found that, um, I can't, I can't say that there's a, there's a model that, that, that basically fits everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, to, um, you know, to answer the question, it is, um, it's, there has to be a period of discovery within these things, right? So, you know, spending enough time, you know, with the organization and, um, and, and often it's small, small steps. So what you can't do is go in and say, you know, we're going to change the world. Ultimately, you know, there's a period of saying, you know, where are we going to deliver the best we're we going to deliver the most success here, whether that's, um, you know, metrics, which is an improved recruitment, whether that's an extension, making sure that we, um, you know, we can find or have access to or build recruitment into, you know, um, more, um, more challenging uh, communities, uh, whether they're ethnic minorities or whether that's based on socioeconomic challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that piece is all has to be done up front because, you know, what, where is the focus what are we trying to do? And then obviously a big piece that you mentioned, which is the, you know, the commercial reality of the, of the drug that we're trying to launch. So it is a mixture. We tend to break things down into much smaller chunks. So phase one would be, you'll say phase one, but the first piece of work that we would do is really trying to understand the business objectives, mm-hmm. then understand the health economics, then understand, you know, the communities and then think about, you know, what is, if we can frame the challenge, then, then ultimately, um, you know, I, it makes it a little easier. But as I mentioned right at the beginning of this, 
you know, you do get individuals that, you know, are still quite reluctant to go down that path. And, you know, there's still, um, still a maturity or a maturing or they're, they're maturing within that kind of digital way of thinking as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, just life sciences industry overall has been, I suppose, somewhat slow to, to adapt to some of the digital tools we've, we've seen other industries um, adapt with. Um, Sorry, I was also going to say, I mean, they have the best opportunity as well. I mean, if yeah. you just take segmentation as a, as a good example, um, you know, the kind of FMCG space, they've been doing that for a long time, you know, trying to better define either the audience or, or you know, the communities that, that surround the audience. And they've tended to use, you know, fairly basic models of segmentation, you know, postcodes or age, gender, that kind of thing. You know, for me, where... You know the, the 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 healthcare space has a huge advantage. Is you know when it comes to personalization, um, I recognise that you know there's various steps, clinical trials right at the front of that kind of engagement. But you know you can use kind of biometric data to better profile. You know there's so many exciting areas that um, you know that can be used to to ultimately. Um, better engage with patients and I, I use that I, I'm very sensitive to it. it has to be a value exchange because if I'm a patient you know that's being asked to join a clinical trial you know and it's and and um, you know I, I have to see I have to see some value why would I do that yeah I wouldn't just join a trial but but the point I was making is that you know the way that you get to, to have that conversation with the patient in the first instance the first place is by is having a much clearer view of who they are what are their drivers you know what are they going to ultimately react to what is going to offend them or turn them off a clinical trial so there's a much there's there's a much um there's more data there's a, a more mature framework i guess around segmentation that uh, that should make it easier it, particularly in healthcare for all the reasons i've just mentioned hopefully that that made sense no definitely i am um, i mean just just think about the amount of data that's available to pharmaceutical organizations and nhs trusts who run the clinical trials um, yeah. which should be i mean first of all it should be interoperable across, across sites or totally and um, potentially um aim, aim for better recruitment but also just so they can have better targeted clinical trials um for better setup totally but, and, and it's not just about you know when i talk about data you know that there's obviously data that that is very personal to you and you know whether that's you know, to take asthma, for example, you know, oxygen saturation blood or whether that's around activity and so on. But there's also some really fascinating data that can be used in terms of, you know, certain regions, you know, that kind of civil data that's available as well, that in particular, when we talk about things like asthma, that can be used where there's going to be certain prevalence or whether it's obesity that's, you know, that where there's more McDonald's in a location. Do you know, there's some really interesting yeah, layered yeah. data that you can bring into that so that you can be much better informed when you're doing trials in terms of you're not just getting you know, landing somewhere and, and, you know, doing a marketing campaign. You can be, as I mentioned, the word informed is, is, is the right one because it, it really helps to, to be more prescriptive and more targeted. And, yeah. and ultimately engaging, right? Because you know, yeah, I don't, absolutely. I don't want to be targeted either as a patient. I want you to talk to me in a language that 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 is, um, you know, that, that I engage with, but also is sensitive and and, um, and, and empathetic to mm -hmm. either me or my community. Yeah, and do you? I mean, I mean, I suppose is that how you would approach a clinical trial setup? You'd have to discuss it with 
the pharma organization, but also at the CRO of NHS trusts. And then would you, you say, well, can we potentially look at, say, these districts, the, the Midlands, G, like GPs within the Midlands, for instance, for, for asthma? I'm not sure. I'm just making up an example. But is, is that one approach you, you could take to hopefully have that better set up and also just to to have the clinical trial start on time, which is something that, you know, m- many don't don't reach that target? I think the, I think the first question is, you know, what what is what data do you currently have? So what have you done in in previous clinical trials? You know, and are we uh, are we addressing a particular challenge? So, for instance, you know, one of our clients had, um, you know, their clinical trials were 90 percent white population. And um, and so their challenge was, as I mentioned, is that how do we reach out to, you know, more harder to reach um, audiences that that make them from um, very specific clinical background. Uh, sorry, ethical back. Um, get my words out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah exactly. That yeah. Um, and ultimately where this particular disease may be more prevalent. So therefore, you know, it's then a case of walking through and saying, okay, do we do we therefore focus on on geography? Do we focus on certain communities? How, how do we build that picture of of, uh, of where the need is? And um, you know, there's various, I wouldn't, there's definitely not one size fits all. It's, you know, right at the center of that has to be the empathy for who we're being challenged to target. Or so some of that comes from the business that says we've not been able to, we've not been able to, um, you know, recruit from these audiences. And part of that comes from us saying, well, why, why is that? You know, is that because you're looking at the wrong data or you're targeting the wrong area and so on? So I think it's, um, it, it 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 helps to drive that recruitment and ultimately, you know, speeds a portion of that up. You know, there's lots of other bits within that clinical trial process, whether that's regulatory or or whether that's you know just basic engagement from from healthcare. So if you're in NHS trials, for instance, obviously the last two years have been horrendous. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So 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 you know, just having availability of staff to be able to work, you know, in those trials. But there's a, there's a whole raft of other things. So. You, you see, I'm I'm only really talking about the targeted engagement, not not the um, you know the rest of the complexity that sits around that in terms of what is delivering a, a you know a successful trial. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of that engagement, in terms of that, that recruitment process, is there an option for better public health campaigns if we're talking about the, the NHS to really try and discuss the benefits that patients can get from trials and to make them aware of it? Because, you know, a lot of time GPs will be the first recruiters for, for, for a trial. Yeah. And do you think that's some, something that should be discussed more? Yeah, totally. I think it's um, it's back to that engagement, isn't it, really? I think there's a, there's a perception of what a clinical trial is. I think that's been somewhat helped over the last two years by the pandemic in terms of people's... Um, uh, it's become a slightly softer conversation. I think that, you know, some of the pharma companies have, have also, you know, been are now seen as being, you know, I choose my words carefully, but they, they you know, they, they are, they, they, there's been a lot of positive impact of what they've been doing around vaccines and so on for, yeah. you know, for general population. But I think that, I think the challenge remains the same is it's that how, how do you position ultimately a clinical trial so that it's seen as valuable to, you know, the patient population. And obviously that's the first challenge. And then secondly, you know, to answer your question, you can't frame that in the same way for every single community. So, of course, you need better engagement. Of course, you need better communication. Um, but ultimately, as well, you know, there's a kind of a 
you know you can do a, a, a you know a, a, a population push in terms of behavioral change and that works in the case of covid but you know if you're talking specifically about you know a, a chronic illness you know and trials there then then the language has to be quite sympathetic to that particular community that you're targeting so i think communication absolutely i think being more um more understanding of the community that you're interacting with as well as um, is something that is probably missed and should be done a lot more frequently you know mm-hmm. and that, um, that 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 as i mentioned the segmentation piece in that is, is quite critical just onto your point there about people with chronic conditions obviously obviously the burden of, of the disease on, on on those patients is huge a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of the time it affects their every, every day life you know what, what, what it can do what foods it can eat etc mm-hmm. um in the same way do you think clinical trials are a little bit or have been um a little bit sort of uh, or, or they haven't understood the impact they can have on patients if, if a person works you know nine or five they don't particularly want to go be going to a hospital setting mm-hmm. after after their work day to participate in, in a trial um mm-hmm. do you know do you, do you think they've all, almost been a little bit too rigid in in, in terms of of their approach and that is why sometimes retention rates can be quite poor i think there's two things yeah i think there's, there's definitely a lot of that in the flexibility um and again the vaccine program is a great example if you look at the uptake in that because of that flexibility the ability to go on a saturday you know the ability to go you know on christmas day i mean you know that that's kind of unheard of isn't it in terms yeah, of the yeah. program and you see the uptake so i think there's a lot to be said about again understanding communities and understanding how flexible you have to be and by communities in this respect i mean a community could be somebody that works between nine and six or a community could be you know somebody that can't go on a sunday or whatever that is i think definitely more flexibility there um you know the the other area really is around um you know how do you you know how do you also focus um the, uh, the 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 as well as the time of day, um, you know, other particular areas like um, as I mentioned earlier, that that different the different cultures, um, and um, and ultimately, I think what a, what what is often forgotten is you know when I'm targeting or when I'm when I'm thinking about engaging for clinical trials, there's a there's a support there's a caregiver community or support community that sits around the patient, right, and very often it's about you know engaging with them as well to say hey maybe you should go along to this this is good i've read about this so it's about understanding the dynamics around that particular patient to say are we targeting the right person because they may resist for other reasons for joining that clinical trial whereas actually you know it may be that somebody that um, you know their spouse or or their parent or or, um, you know somebody else that's close to them what we call a caregiver um, is actually the one to, to really understand and get where the value can be by them attending. So I think this is as much about making sure that that um, we can involve the right people in the messaging to the right people to get people to go to the trials, but also around the flexibility, as you mentioned. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things to pick into there, um, but um, but uh, but. Um, you know, the core is really, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to be more tailored. I think that rigidness is, of course, as with anything, you know, banks not open on a Saturday morning or whatever, right, is a challenge, right, which yeah, is why. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a big industry. There's so many, so many little facets that could affect a clinical a clinical trial success or outcome. Um, one thing that surprises me is that, you know, you, if you think about the cost and time it takes for a drug to be developed and 
go through go through the process and you know get to market. Um, ju- just just how many stories you hear about our clinical trial wasn't set up cor- correctly, or you'd, it had a X amount of retention rate, and that it didn't get through to phase two friends for, for this reason or, or, or whatever. Um, it's it, it's it's just um, it's baffling to me almost that uh, that amount of money can go into something and success isn't guaranteed. But um, mm-hmm. just going back to what you were discussing before the um, about the pandemic, I think. You know, in the last two years, we've seen such a big shift in the way that healthcare has approached patients, that people have looked at the life sciences industry. And, you know, you hear vaccine success, success stories or the diagnostics industry doing really well with their lateral flow tests and stuff like that. And so we've had this big sort of um, almost like a public perception change to how the life sciences industry operates. Do you think the... Um, the changes that have happened over the two years in terms of clinical trials, or, or I, I suppose, have you seen a change in how clinical trials have operated within the past two years in terms of their approach to different types of technology? Yeah, totally. Um, I was trying to think of a good example. And, and, um, and uh, you know, there is one trial that, that we were due to run, actually, uh, with one of our partners that was, um, you know, um, a lot of the early um kind of training for the trial so beyond the recruitment so the recruitment had been done um and then it required a clinical visit um you know to go in and actually get a, a hba1c um recorded so literally a physical blood test in yeah. clinic and um and that trial because of covid and because you couldn't get into the clinic you know was delayed by um 18 months actually but but actually what happened was um after 12 months you know, we saw um, that particular NHS trust that we were working with become much more flexible around home testing for blood sample, for instance. So, you know, where that could be actually sent in as opposed to a clinical visit where, yeah. you know, the uh, the the initial kind of consultation was done virtually rather than going into clinic, you know. <clears throat> and, and if you'd have asked me pre-pandemic whether that would happen and how quickly that would happen within the NHS, for instance, I'd have I'd have laughed at you if you'd have said less than five years, and yet, and yet we saw, yeah, we saw, we saw the pandemic having an impact, you know, in terms of more acceptance around that, around that virtual, those virtual trials. Which is back to your question around flexibility, because that really does show that there's, there's a, you know, these, these things can be done anywhere ultimately if you set them up yeah. correctly, and um, you know that that trial was. Um, the audience for that particular trial meant that they were we'd already done the work that said that they would be fine with a you know with a home a1c test they would be fine with virtual consultation etc and um you know i would just there some caution that that might not be right for every single clinical trial but it's a good example and i think it answers what you said there is that you know for me i think although it's been extremely frustrating the pandemic because it has slowed down you know deprioritized a lot of the trials that we've been involved with i think it's a, a, an amazing opportunity because now you know we've started to think about you know um you know doing that you know in a much more flexible environment you know it saves one of the barriers has got to be i don't want to drive all the way into you know manchester i don't want to drive all the way into tower hamlets whatever you know for uh for for, for um you know to for a clinical visit i can just do that from here and they're yeah. more likely to be well yeah of course i mean nobody's looking forward to it other um <laughs> no no exactly, exactly. or anything like that Exactly. Um, it's it's born out of necessity rather than any, anything else. Totally. Yeah. Um, so we are coming up to sort of the, the end of the, of the podcast, but I just want to find out a little bit more um, about what Love Bar is doing in the future and what we can look out, look out for. I, we, we're, um, we get very excited about data. 
Um, we're a bit geeky in that respect. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, it's, I guess for 10 years now, we've been getting very geeky about data, but, you know, back to the pandemic and what we can see now, you know, that interoperability and the sharing of data and the, I think the collaborations that we see happening, um, around the world, whether it's Apple, you know, having access to healthcare records in the U S or whether it's the work, the great work that the guys are doing it to patients know best here around, you know, giving that ownership, you know, that I think that's a big change, you know, giving, allowing customer, giving customer, um, you know, sorry, giving patients their own or access to their own data and to consent to do that is a huge thing and um you know that all drives personalized health and a lot of the work that we're doing you know continues to look at how we humanize data we call it so how do you take that data and then how do you you know put a human face on it because you know most of us um you know it's very challenging looking at data and uh, and being able to um you know being able to did you lose me then for a second by the way yeah you, you paused Sorry, I'm back i've got you back now yes I was I was saying I'll I'll say I'll say it in summary. The exciting thing is data. You know the interoperability, the availability of data gets us very excited. And um, you know I, I think where we see ourselves is you know being that human face. So how do we humanize either data or AI? Because there's, there's so much opportunity there. You know whereas um, you know we've all seen our healthcare data and we stare at it and go this is amazing but what do i do with it mm-hmm. you know kind of thing so um you know we're doing a lot of work around our platform nudge which is really around coaching within this particular space and taking that data and making sense of it particularly within chronic conditions um you know so that's um, that's super exciting and uh, you know we we were there 5 years ago we we're waiting for everybody else to catch up but um you know it's a, it's a good space to be in yeah, I, I I totally agree. Um, that, so that 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 sort of digital health industry, um, and and, and the allocation of of data, I think, is going to be really important with how we we view our own healthcare, which has always been a little bit, um, to myself, quite elusive. Yes. Yeah, quite difficult to access. And how do we make sense of it? You know, right? it's like you go and see if you're a, if you're a type one diabetic, you see a, di- di- a diabetologist, you know, they look at your data from the last three months and they go, Oh yeah, here, I can see this is happening. And I can see that, you know, you're hyperglycemic most evenings or, you know, you're, you are hyperglycemic in the middle of the day, you know, that's because this has been happening and they give a bit of advice and then, you know, the patient goes away and um, within two days they've forgotten. Yeah. Right. So, so how, how do you, you know, that gap in between those clinical visits, you know, how do you take the same data but provide the same level of um, empathy and advice. And, and a lot of that can be done, you know, through technology now and through amazing content and you can engage people. So that's, you know, that, that's the space where we're in and driving forward. But uh, that's, I see that in lots of other spaces, whether that's kind of acute fitness or health and, um, as well as chronic conditions. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been more of a wellness thing up until the last sort of totally. five or six years where it's, it's moved yeah. into places like diabetes. Um, totally. and also age age specific so you know as i said we work a lot with uh, that transition from pediatrics into adult care is kind of we call it a little bit of a chasm because you know they're the lost the lost souls and um you know they all engage within with the digit within digital environments whether it's their mobile phones now or whether it's you know dare i say the metaverse in 10 years you know that's the <laughs> that's where they're going to want to receive you know health and you know cl- you know in a way if you want to, you know, seek and, and um, 
and drive clinical trials of the future. You know, you need to think about that. It sounds silly, but you know, this is where, you know, these guys, you know, they live in their bedrooms now. So, you know, if, if they're your target audience for whatever reason, then you need to be able to engage with them. Well, yeah. And then, and then with the, with the length of takes, and um, with the regulatory burdens of, of the life sciences industry, it's you, totally. know, you need to be on the ball now rather than playing catch up in, in 10 years, like you said. Totally. And the world changed so quickly. You know, I yeah. laugh. I mean, I only, I only, you know, we, we do this all the time, but I see it firsthand with my four children. You know, I see them, you know, engaging with friends and, and, uh, and with people in these more and more virtual spaces, you know, they're shifting into that. So 10 years away, is, is comes really quickly and you can see that that's that becomes a default certainly for everybody under kind of 30 years of age right yeah yeah and um, matt thanks so much for coming on the podcast and um, i think we'll wrap it up there and um, awesome. yeah yeah brilliant Absolutely. Well, thank you thanks for the invite reese and uh, lovely to chat yeah you too thanks a lot right. take care